Welcome to Believe in Baltimore, a podcast conversation with community leaders and change makers in Baltimore, Maryland, hosted by Govins Presbyterian Church. We're your hosts, Reverend Billy Klutz, Associate Pastor here at Govins Presbyterian Church. And Reverend Tom Harris, Senior Pastor. And we believe in Baltimore. Welcome back to Believe in Baltimore. Today we are joined by Marie Harrington. Marie serves as the Second Service Music Director here at Govins. Ms. Harrington has a bachelor's degree in vocal and organ music from the Peabody Conservatory and has experience as an organist and cantor at numerous churches in various denominations in the area. She's a member of the American Guild of Organists and is an accomplished composer, arranger, and performer of music in diverse styles, including jazz, gospel, classical, rock, baroque, and modern. She has experience conducting a variety of musical ensembles, including youth and women's choirs and symphony orchestras, as well as handbells. She's been an ear training tutor at Peabody and maintains a private music studio where she teaches voice, piano, and composition across a variety of musical styles. Marie also is actively committed to pursuing social and racial justice, and in recent years has organized several benefit concerts with local churches for social causes most recently in support of Ukraine, where she has family. Welcome, Marie. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here, Marie. Your uh, bio is so impressive, but I'll be honest, every time I read it or hear it, it's that you are a tutor for your training. That is the most, as someone who almost dropped out of college because your training was so hard, I am always in awe that you passed it and that you could tutor others. That is so sweet, oh my gosh. It's funny, David Willerup, our tenor section leader, said the same thing. Well, I was wondering if you could start off by telling us a little bit about your work here at Govins. What drew you to Govins as a church and a community, and what you're most excited about in this position? So, Govins truly is a special place, and I find myself oftentimes, usually talking with Leah, kind of saying, oh, I hate to say it, but Govins is kind of the best church ever. Like, it really does fit that description for me. And the thing that highlights that thought is it's really, really hard to find a space, religious or non-religious, that is a community space that constantly strives to perpetuate goodness. And I see that here through and through with every employee and with so many volunteer leaders of this community um, sharing all of their gifts and talents and just the wide variety of that um, uh, with folks in this space. And it's funny the um, like amount of work that we do at Govins is also more than uh, what I've seen happen in other spaces similar to this. And I think that is just all inclusive with perpetuating goodness because if we want to strive for something that's for the greater good, I think it is something that involves constant critique and constant reworking and that is something that we do literally every week and it just it feels like truly humbling work to be a part of and I can proudly say that I brag to my atheist friends about y'all sermons (laughs) Um, and just even sitting there in church listening to them you know for the um, and I apologize for going on a bit of a tangent here but from the musician's perspective we're always worrying about the hymn after the sermon right Mm. which is the next thing to do musically I don't worry about that with y'all's sermons because 
every single topic in the sermon is related to something that I've been thinking about in my mind, whether it's a biblical issue or a political issue out in the world. And so many um, pastor's sermons don't touch on the variety mm. of subjects that y'all touch on. So I think all of that just adds to perpetuating goodness with a community. Um, and um, what I want to add to that work is just to basically do the musical version of that. So what does it mean to take people's artistic and musical dreams and visions and put them into live action? Well, I'm trying to do that this year, firstly with the November 4th concert that we have. That's a great opportunity for our community involvement. And um, just in general, um, it was really, really great doing the open house, for example, and making all of those flyers and saying, please email me, please email me, please email me, please sign up. Um, just because I want to get more folks in the community um, involved with musical stuff that maybe they would have felt hesitant to partake in otherwise. And I understand why it's really intimidating to be a part of music, um, especially classical music and music that comes from a more traditional background. There tends to be a lot of prestige associated with that music, and therefore it can be um, kind of scary to uh, other people or people who are not associated with um, that kind of music. And I want to totally break down the barrier of scariness. Um, and that's pretty hard, because um, like you mentioned, I went to Peabody, da, da, da. anybody with a conservatory background or a really serious university background when it comes to music, you know, can say like through and through, this is the harshest musical environment. And I'm still battling with this internally every day. You mm. are taught to hate your product constantly mm. because you always have to be better. But as someone who is an artist, you have to promote your own business, your artistry, and therefore you have to simultaneously love your product so much that you want everybody to be aware of it. So it's a crazy difficult dichotomy, but the rigidity of that upbringing keeps people away from traditional music, it keeps people away from classical music, and it also makes those groups elitist and oftentimes also racist and prejudiced. And that is something that I hate. I absolutely despise it. I don't think it is modern. I don't think it is productive. And it's something that I want to work to creating an end to or seeing an end to here. I think, and absolutely, I see this happen in the choir too. We work on traditional music, but we have an inclusive group. We have a group that is not rigid. We have a group that is willing to do, um, uh, let's see, well, Carl described it as really resilient yesterday when it mm. comes to different genres, and I thought that was a really good word for that. And I just want to perpetuate that atmosphere of taking something so beautiful as this traditional music and getting rid of the rigidity as much as I can um, and create an environment where that just is sustained throughout. And if we see any bit of elitism, boom. Let's get rid of it. If we see any bit of racism or prejudice, boom, let's get rid of it immediately, you know? And this is stuff that doesn't always happen in other fields, especially in the classical field. There's a lot of elitism and a lot of prejudice, and we are constantly having to work to get rid of it. But yeah, sorry, I talked for forever. <laughs> no, we're, we're so grateful for your, your mindfulness and, and that um, 
yeah, that perspective that you bring to this work here. I'm wondering, how did you get started in music? Oh my gosh, um, well, so I had my first performance ever when I was four, and quite frankly, I don't remember it, um, but it was in a church, and um, I grew up performing in the, in the church that I grew up in, um, and if it weren't for that experience, I don't think I would have had a the affinity for performing that I have now and for sharing music with other people. Um, the leaders in the church that I grew up in uh, gave me so many opportunities to perform even from a young age and my first performance was something I don't remember but apparently I was dancing with sunglasses on and singing and my sunglasses fell off and they said I very like flawlessly grabbed those sunglasses and put them on upside down and just kept dancing. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's funny to hear that story told to me, something I don't remember. It just sounds like, oh, there's a little bit of a natural performer energy in there somewhere. Something, something crazy up in there. Um, but my background with music did begin with piano, um, which was just a self-exploration uh, kind of thing. And I started playing by ear. Um, so oh, wow. I, I had no, no formal training for years and years and years. And actually, me playing by ear was what convinced my family, all right, I guess we gotta pay for piano lessons. <laughs> um, but it was really the best decision they ever made. Um, if it weren't for that, I don't know what would have happened. That kind of, um, the formal training that they gave me access to eventually, um, just led to everything that I wanted to do in life and music quickly became um, an experience of life that felt, um, what's the word I'm looking for, extra enlightened. Um, like we can get a lot of enlightenment through the arts. We can get an elevated living experience or something that feels more elevated than the average day-to-day -day moment. Mm -hmm. right, through music and arts, and I definitely experienced that at a young age. I will say the my ear training thing that you mentioned earlier absolutely comes from the fact that I developed perfect pitch when mm. te teaching myself piano when I was a small child, which it's, it's very funny because perfect pitch is absolutely a privileged situation because the brain has to be um, young enough to where it'll soak up what each pitch sounds like and mm -hmm. just memorize that um and i feel very interesting because i developed that totally accidentally um it's like most people with perfect pitch they're given piano lessons at three or something like that like a music instruction whereas for me the piano was what i saw as a toy that my grandma owned and i was like this is a really cool toy it makes a lot of sounds i'm gonna think of every song i've heard on your old radio right now and try to plunk it out on this instrument and that somehow ended up being the best musical decision i made in my life and it was also the first musical decision i made in my life which is kind of crazy but yeah that's just a little bit about how all this kind of started so <laughs> wow I love there's so much of what you said that it just makes sense from what I know about you already. Um, I mean, I love that you you have this sort of democratic view of music, uh, that everybody can do it at the same time. You've had the formal training, um, and so you, you've been at, you're at that level musically, 
but to also, you know, learn by playing by ear on a piano. And so you feel like, hey, everybody can do this, and you're going to use your training to help them get there. Yeah. And I love what you said about describing the church as a place that perpetuates goodness. Yeah. It reminds me when I early on at Govins, one of the mottos I talked about was Google's motto: mm. "Don't be evil." Mm. And you know, you look around at churches, and some of the churches that perpetuate the divisions in our society, and you know, reinforce classism and racism and all kinds of different things, mm-hmm. nationalism, yeah. and that's what people know about the church. You know, right. that's what gets all the, the building. Exactly. Um, and so, don't be evil seemed like a good place to start. Yeah. But I like yours better. It's it's sort of positive spin on that potentially goodness. Maybe Google would, done have, would be even better now if they were perpetuating goodness and just not being evil. And so that, I, I, love, I love that about, about what you picked up on our, what we're trying to do here. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this really is the best place for me. I, I've been telling some folks here, I, I want this to be my last church job, meaning like, I don't want to leave. <laughs> that would be just fine for us. <laughs> How long have you been in Baltimore? I have been in Baltimore for, I want to say six years now, which sounds tremendously long. Um, But uh, so I moved here in 2016, originally from Durham, North Carolina, which is where where I spent my whole life. Um, And I moved here to go to Peabody for undergrad in the fall. I didn't think I would be here for this long. Actually, this is a funny story. Um, Before the pandemic, I was supposed to move to Europe and begin working with opera companies in Europe. I got a gig uh, singing a uh, role of, uh, what is it called, Prince Orlovsky, which, um, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, in operas, the uh, lower voiced um, assigned at birth female singers uh, tend to be called mezzo-sopranos. They will oftentimes be cast in pants roles where you're playing the role of someone who's the opposite gender. So I was about to have so much fun with this role of Prince Orlovsky and this opera by um, Johann Strauss called Die Fledermaus, and, which was going to be in Bulgaria. And I was going to spend the rest of my summer visa um, trying to get jobs and trying to be located there. But once the pandemic happened, it canceled that production and it forced me to stay here, which honestly was such a blessing. Um, and so I am very, very, very glad that I am still here. I have developed so much love for Baltimore, as so many of us do. We see all of the just natural beauties of people from all sorts of backgrounds in Baltimore, and we also see the human tragedies um, that tend to exist. Um, all encompassed in this one place, and it's just a really eye-opening place to live in. I actually discovered only very recently that Baltimore is the city where redlining originated. And it makes so much sense because when you see um, just so many tragic, um, uh, impoverished situations in the city, like, there's no hiding it. I think a lot of cities do a slightly better job at hiding it, you know? Um, but here everything is just really in your face and I think it's super eye-opening for anyone that comes through the city so a very long-winded way of saying I've been here for six years sorry you answered one of our questions uh, why do you believe in Baltimore and yeah. Uh, yeah another question we have is because we're a hyper local uh, podcast community based mm-hmm. 
what are the things, the hidden gems in the city that you found uh, that you want to give a shout out that you love that make your life better because you you live in Baltimore? Oh gosh, you know what? That is such a good question because it's a number of things, but also at the same time, I feel like I have not genuinely explored enough here. So I can only say I love certain parts of uh, various towns a whole lot, um, like Pigtown I can walk through any day, um, Hamden I can walk through any day, and I really love also walking just on Greenmount Avenue. That's actually the route that I take to drive here, and I just always see really cool people and have really cool experiences. Um, when I'm just driving on that street. It's flooded with people and a lot of people will be sitting on the stoops outside their homes and just like playing music and having a good time and hanging out with people. And that's the something that I don't really see happening ever in the part of town where I live in, which is Mount Vernon, which is far more financially privileged and uh, for lack of a better word, white. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's really cool to see diversity. It's really cool to see neighborhood communities getting together. Um, I think there's a place called Miss Shirley's, which is probably like one of the best eateries I've ever been to. Um, but there are so many really, really amazing examples of great food here. Um, Chaps Pit Beef, if you have not gone there, you absolutely have to. I did not know before coming here that Baltimore had its own version of barbecue, and it really should be preached on. Basically, it's very, very good. If, if you're a meat eater, that is, of course. If you're not a meat eater, you know. You don't want to go to Chaps Pit Beef, because you're going to want to eat the barbecue. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot to mention. I um, I met a lot of really, really amazing uh, performers, a couple of really amazing drag queens that I met um, performing at uh, Grand Central, which unfortunately is now gone. And it's really heartbreaking to see the parts of the community that are intended for the LGBTQ community just disappearing. I hope that all it is is a situation where we're going to open another location for LGBTQ people. I hope that is the situation. Um, but, you know, one can only hope. There really is just so much diversity in the city and so many people from all walks of life. And there really, really should be a space for everyone um, in this city. So that's, that's where I'm at. Awesome. All right, yeah. Uh, I, I love Big Town too. Big yeah. Town is uh, not something you hear mentioned often oh, when people are talking about Baltimore, but it's, uh, it's got some pretty cool places there. It does. Well, here at Goldman's Presbyterian, we say that our work is grounded in stories mm. the stories of our neighbors, of our own stories, and of our Christian tradition. Mm. We love to talk about the Bible, and on this podcast, we invite our neighbors from all religious traditions or no tradition to discuss a story with us because we think it's a great way to reflect on our past, reflect on the archetypes that we share, to work, work and the, the work we're doing every day together. Stories help us make sense of the world around us. And so, during each podcast, we read a Bible story and we have a dialogue. What's interesting about the text, challenging, inspiring, we don't expect our guests to have a particular faith, and in fact, we love talking to people from all kinds of traditions and theologies and wherever, wherever somebody's coming from so that we can reflect on the meaning of these stories and how they might guide us today from multiple perspectives. And Billy is going to read our story today. Yeah, Marie, our story today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verses 19 to 21. 
This story is part of the Israelites' escape from slavery in Egypt. And in the story, Moses' sister, Miriam, celebrates her people's liberation through music. When the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his chariot drivers, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So Marie, I'm wondering, as you hear that story about women leading music, and I would say women leading worship, what's your initial response? Does anything stand out to you, surprise you, challenge you, resonate with you? Um, it's, it's funny because the connection that I am making with this immediately is something that I find odd, but it is probably something that both of you are like, yes, this is the point of this kind of thing. Um, but so the first thing I thought of when um, uh, when hearing this was, oh, the, um, uh, mirror reminds me of, um, a moment that I had very recently, um, leading a large group of people in dance accidentally, um, at a recent concert, uh, of mine, so, a, a band that I play music with, I do lead vocals, uh, with them, and they switched up the song list last minute out of the song, very end that I didn't know, so I felt, all right, uh, it's time for me to just go hang out in the crowd. And now, I do not dance, I do not do anything of the sort. I, <laughs> I do music, and I will sometimes tap my foot, and you might see me do a little, like, silly dance in choir when the choir makes a sound that I'm super happy with, um, mm. but that's the extent of that. Um, but at this concert, <laughs> I, um, uh, so I didn't know the song. I walked out into the audience and now we were doing a gig for a Maryland workforce conference. So there's just a ton of people there. They're all in their work attire. They're coming from all over the state of Maryland to stay at this one large hotel and take part in this conference. And so it was just a more kind of formal vibe. But I, for some reason, just felt so, I guess, moved to dance in the um, uh, audience. And that caused a huge line of people dancing, just one person after the other, after the other, after the other. And I was thinking, you know what, I'm not a good dancer. I have two left feet. I know that I did like dancing at some point in my life, but I promise you I have two left feet. There's no way that my dancing is contagious. Like this mm. is impossible. Um, but I think uh, this probably just reminded me of this because all it takes is one person experiencing an art or a music form in a way that is like spiritually enlivening to them mm -hmm. and then that goodness, that um, fun is con contagious literally and I think in that moment it was contagious uh, so that happens to be the first thing that I thought of um, uh, when you read that story very very cool story but I love that. Yeah. I think Miriam's doing so much at once, right? Like she's pausing to be like, see what just happened? God did that. <laughs> but she's also inviting people into, into an emotion, into a moment of transcendence as well, right? That kind of reflection space. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
I think she also reminds us that music has always been a tool for social change. Do you think that's still true or do you see really pertinent examples of that today? Yeah, I see really real um, examples of that. And I will use uh, someone who unfortunately passed away recently as an example. One of the most influential choral conductors I ever worked with is a man named Dr. Paul Kwame, who I don't remember where he is from originally, but he lived in Tennessee for a number of years, being the director of the Fisk Jubilee Singers, who I had the privilege of working with when I was in high school. And uh, the Fisk Jubilee Singers uh, toured all over the place. You know, they sang for the Queen also when she was present with the songs world in his World Recipes. Um, but yeah, they, they really have a repertoire of performing everywhere. And they went to a number of high schools to um, teach folks about the history of the school and the history of the spiritual music. And hearing the group sing so stylistically accurate to like a lot of the original recordings of choir singing spirituals that we hear, it just moves you to tears because you know that they're not just communicating notes and they're not just hanging out with a group of people. You can tell it's a group of people that is actively remembering the meaning behind everything that they're singing, why they're singing the words that they're singing, and how their um, families are incorporated into that situation, how their own personal lives are incorporated into that situation. And um, for me, that reminds me a lot of um, uh, also when, uh, let's see, earlier this year, um, you mentioned when reading that bio about a Ukrainian benefit concert. The last Ukrainian benefit concert I was a part of, I had to sing a piece that was a, um, like a war song, which is a song that I grew up like singing and listening to, and that one always made me cry. And I didn't think it would make me cry at this concert, but I actually couldn't sing it because I tried to introduce the song and I just burst into tears. And it's just, yeah, music will do that, absolutely. Music gives us the opportunity to um, tell our deepest, darkest thoughts and express our um, most tragic stories as well as our most amazing stories. Um, and the fact that we can do all of that through harmonies and melodies and singing in unity and singing independently and with playing various instruments that are formed so complicatedly. Organs are so insanely complicated. Violins are so insanely complicated as are pianos. I mean, there's just so much genius that goes behind all of this art that we create. It just makes all the sense in the world that um, music can lead something that has such a valuable meaning, um, but yeah. There's something about this song, and I think it gets on the honesty of music that you were just talking about, mm -hmm. the fact that it, it unapologetically celebrates the violence that just happened. I mean, this is a, you know, the horse and rider were thrown into the sea, mm -hmm. um, and we have to understand that in context of the violence that Pharaoh was doing to the people of Egypt, so this, right. this isn't just God being capriciously violent. Right. But even then, to sing unapologetically, God destroyed our enemies, you know, mm -hmm. violently. Yeah. 
And it just makes me, we can edit this out, this gets too weird. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me, when I was in high school, I listened to a lot of Christian rock. Yeah. And I was the driver for the carpool for swim practice in the morning, and I made my friends who were not into Christian rock listen to it, mm. and they hated it. Yeah. And I, later in life, I started to realize what was missing from Christian rock mm. was a lot of Christian rock, I should say not all, yeah. was the honesty. You know, that in secular music, you just get talk about, you know, the, the stuff in life that's hard and horrible and not particularly righteous, you know, mm. and, and you just sing about it and it touches something deep in your soul. And I'm wondering if this song here has, has something of that sort of deep, guttural honesty mm. about the raw emotion. Um, of, of vengeance that the people felt um, after being oppressed for so long. Um, yeah. so I don't know if there's a question in there, but I wonder if you have any response to that. You know, that just it made me think about the reading a lot more. Um, whenever I read something from the Bible and asked to think about it, I honestly get really scared because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so ADD, I'm so dyslexic, I'm not going to remember a word that was just said and I'm not going to be able to draw all the analogies together or paint a picture, but it doesn't matter that I have that issue or complex or whatever. It's just, it's like you said, it's all about your initial thoughts to that thing. That's why books are important to people or matter and it's because it's how your brain reacts to that it's like what strikes a thought in there and you know it's funny because I think there is absolute um, validity um, related to um, uh, music that might sound like it's coming from a vengeful uh, space um, oftentimes when we think about what it means to seek justice some people's or some group of people's versions of justice might sound like vengeance. And I'll give you an example, um, because I was thinking about this like for a long time, ever since this war started in Ukraine. So now, Russian people are not at the fault of their government. They are not to blame, right? The same way US citizens are not to blame for the actions of our government. Right? Um, but to the Ukrainian people as a whole, now this is such a generalization, but to the Ukrainian people, um, Russia is a terrorist state right now. And no one can take that opinion away from the Ukrainian people because they are a victim in an abusive situation. And if you go to many countries all over Eastern Europe, Ukrainian citizens in those countries have always been marginalized groups of people. Poland is an example of that. Um, and like you, in any situation where there is the oppressed and the oppressor, you cannot tell the person who is an oppressed person that the abuser is in any way in the right or should be forgiven. It is up to the victim to um, decide what is healthy and what is best in that situation. So in all this to say, I think a lot of situations that two groups of people on this earth can feel like justice kind of do embody a little bit of vengeance um, just because that is human nature. Um, violence is something that like has, you know, it's told everywhere in the Bible. We're always reading about like what it means to do the right thing and we're always 
put in situations where um, certain people or groups of people feel like the enemy and certain people and groups of people feel like um, the good person or, you know, stuff like that. Um, so it's, 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 it's just hard to separate the two. I think there's a lot of gray area. Nothing is very black or white. Um, and that's the cool thing about analyzing the Bible because there's so many amazing, like just truly amazing stories in the Bible. And I think by analyzing them, we not only learn so much about the history of the Bible, but we learn so much about us as humans and what our human tendencies are. And that's like regardless of your religion or denomination, I know a lot of people who are um, uh, non-religious or of a different religion that have taken a theology class and have been like, you know, this is the coolest thing ever. Like the Bible is just, just is telling you just so many really truly amazing stories. And there really is a lot that we can learn about uh, humanity from them, regardless of your religious um, background. So. Well, and what I think Tom and you're both reminding us of is that even we just quote unquote sing the story making music is a form of interpretation. You know, is the Magnificat supposed to be sung softly or loudly? I think that's a form of biblical interpretation. You know, where where do we sing marcato, legato? I mean, every kind of choice that you're guiding the choir and our soloists and our handbells to do is a form of saying, what does the Bible mean? And it's, it's never just telling the story. Every telling is different. And I think you're embodying Miriam's work there so powerfully. And I can think of a thousand different ways she might have said, she might have emphasized her very short uh, lyrics, her very uh, limited lyrics. Aww, thank you. I'm wondering where can people get involved and, and step up and, and be part of the great work you're doing? People that are experienced musicians and maybe have uh, never sung a note in their life. Well, that's a really great question um, because um, I think a lot of people don't know where to begin. And the number one thing I want to get out is you're not supposed to know where to begin. And even I, don't know where to automatically begin with people who I don't know. And the reason why is because we have to know people first. The reason why on all of those flyers that I put out, I wrote my email address and said, write to me, write to me, write to me. It's not because I want you to come up with a proposal, right? Or send something super specific to me. I just want you to say, hi, my name is Bulba, let's talk. And by me getting to know you the same way I have gotten to know my students in my private studio, the same way I've gotten to know the students at the school I teach at, and just every other colleague and every other person I've lived with or like, you know, just experienced life with, you know, as everyone else does. Um, it all starts from just us getting to know each other and what we can do for each other. Um, so the vision that I have for people in this community, for people in this church, is totally dependent on the visions of the community and of members of the community. And so I highly encourage anyone, if you haven't done already, um, and now this is not to say um, only folks who are interested in performing or folks that are interested in being with the choirs, this is just folks that have any musical interest at all. I encourage you to write to me at, I can try to remember my email, mariahovenspress.org. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> it's very simple. It's just my first name. Um, <laughs> um, I encourage you to write to me, and let's just get a conversation started. Um, because I want to see what I can do for you, right? There are so many flowers here that musically have not blossomed yet. 
and all it takes is just a little bit of watering from the right watering can. <laughs> and it's up for me and the other musical folks here who are leaders in the community to figure out what is the best watering can, right? So um, absolutely feel free to just write to me and it might flourish into something like you become a part of our rehearsals. It might flourish into something like I get you involved with workshops and other community related music events going on outside of Govins or even within Govins. It can be a number of things. Maybe you realize that you really, really wanted voice lessons. I actually have one voice student right now who is not working on anything musical. We're just working on speech lessons. He wants to be a more confident public speaker. And that is something that it took forever for him to realize he has self-consciousness about. And it took him forever to open up about that to another person. And so I feel very honored that I get to take on that role of giving him public speaking lessons. Um, and yeah, I know I don't sound like a public speaker because I sit on this local fry sometimes, whatever. But you know, um, that's totally different when you're working on the practice of something. But anywho, um, yeah, point is just right to me, and we'll get our adventures started. So. Now, what if my kids just started taking piano lessons? Mm -hmm. Can I send them to you? Yeah, I mean, so the great thing about that is my studio is full right now, which is bad news, but good news is I know so, 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 so many piano teachers that specialize in various different um, types of piano instruction. So if you want a jazz piano teacher, if you want someone who's gonna help you work on ear training, if you want someone who's gonna give you a classical background, if you want someone who's only gonna give you technical instruction so that you can kind of noodle around on your own, but you can do so with physical comfort. Um, I can lead you to any of those people. If you have a specific budget you have to meet, I am with you there, money is always tight. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's, that's just the cool thing about being a part of this community. And being a musician in Baltimore, it's a relatively small community of musicians, so we do tend to know each other pretty well. So I would be more than happy to be a stepping stone for someone or guide them in the right direction. I actually uh, directed uh, Doug and Claire, who are both looking for piano lessons, to a very, very good piano teacher who would meet their needs. and so. I hope that um, lessons with them uh, begin sometime relatively soon, and I hope they have fun with it, um, but yeah. And I've loved the way that you've gotten kids involved in music here at Govins too, and I'm excited about that, to see the young people who are still learning, but yeah. as you've said, can already be making music here and, and participating in leading worship in that way. Right, yes, and if you are a parent of a small child and here at Govins, and you don't really know what your child is interested in musically, but you think you want to get them involved in something, please once again reach out to me, murray.govinspress.org, and we will just get that conversation started. Because all I think, I think all it takes is conversation. I am not ever the type of person to push anybody into doing anything. I always just try to take your visions and interests and aspirations and put certain goals with it or give you different tools, right? So like teachers, for example, um, are a great um, just overall example of this because teachers always give students the tools and show them the door, but it's up to the students to take the tools and go out the door and stuff like that. And a teacher can't make you do that. Or at least a good teacher can't. A lot of teachers do try to, don't mess to them. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, so please reach out to me. You really, you really flesh out the whole idea that you hear so often. Anybody can do music. Anybody yeah. can be a part of music. Yeah. And I really appreciate how you're like, yes, and there's a vast diversity of ways to do that, and I can, I can help you with that. So yeah. I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. Um, do you have any final thoughts about uh, the Bible passage, about Baltimore, about Golden's, about music? Gosh, that's, I, I really do feel like I've talked a ton, um, but I, I just have to say, um, no matter where you are in life, no matter what situation you're in, if you ever feel yourself paying extra attention to something, whether it's a song you're listening to on the radio or a piece you're listening to in the church service, listen to the part of you that is paying extra attention to that and follow that voice because music absolutely has the um, potential to live within people. And that is where we see our flowers bloom, right? By um, engaging in um, the act of that art. It always starts from something. Um, so yeah, that's all I have to really say. Awesome. But, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us and talking to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And if you like this conversation, make sure to rate and review us wherever you're listening to us. And send us your questions, your comments, your ideas for future episodes to me, Billy, at govinsprez.org. Share this podcast with your neighbors. Invite them to come make music as well. And don't miss uh, Marie's concert. Let's get that information one more time. It's November 4th. Yes, it's November 4th, which is a Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. It is a Govins community-wide concert. So if you read our newsletter, stay tuned for the October newsletter because a sign-up sheet for that will be going out in this newsletter. And you don't have to know that you want to perform. You can just have the idea that you want to perform. And I will provide all interested performers in rehearsal time in our sanctuary so you can practice being in the space. And also, I will rehearse with you so that you can feel comfortable with the music that you're putting out for people. This is a totally supportive concert. And like all of the concerts that I want to uh, lead at uh, Govins Press, this is totally free. Um, uh, for the sake of inviting more people into our wonderful community. And since this concert will be kicking off our concert series, our new and upcoming concert series rather, here at Govins, um, I will have one surprise musician who is a really, really wonderful trained classical musician who will play um, a little bit of their instrument at the very end of the concert just to get any um, audience members um, uh, the uh, experience of what our further concerts are going to be like, which will be inviting musicians from all over Baltimore City into our home um, where they can share their gifts and talents with us and we can show them love and support. So, yeah. Awesome, and you can uh, get lots of great reminders about that event and other things happening at Govins this fall online and in person by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, visiting our website, uh, govinsprez.org, or just texting Govins to 94000. Thanks again to Marie um, and for joining us for this podcast. And now as you go from here, we do hope that you will 
be thinking about music and how you can incorporate more music into your life, the areas of musical energy that you have in your life and what those, what those may be calling you to. And that you will see beauty every time you open your eyes and your truth every time you listen. You'll breathe every breath as a blessing and walk humbly upon the earth. And that we will all live in love for ourselves, for one another, and even for our enemies. And so may we live in the presence of God.